Our second reading comes from the book of Genesis. It is the story of Joseph and his brothers. We pick it up towards the end of that story, though. You will recall that several chapters before and many years earlier when that story began, it was the story of a group of brothers, one of whom was a dreamer. And the dreams got him into trouble. They provoked jealousy to the point that his other brothers throw Joseph into a pit and leave him for dead. And thinking better of it a little bit, they go back, they pull him out of the pit, and they sell him into slavery instead. Now it is through those dreams and Joseph's ability to interpret them and a number of other events that he ends up rising to become one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt second only to Pharaoh. It is from that vantage point of power that Joseph looks out one day and guess who he sees? Here come his brothers, desperate for there has been a famine in their land and they are coming to beg for food literally for their survival. And it is at this moment in our reading today, where Joseph reveals to his brothers that he is the one who they have not yet recognized. Let us listen now to God's word from the 45th chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with the third verse. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers, his brothers, they could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. Come closer to me. And they came closer and Joseph said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt and Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these lands two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And God has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And then Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after this, his brothers talked with him. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, 
coming closer. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, in Jesus Christ, you are the one who draws near. You didn't have to, and yet you came to be close to us as one of us. O God, in this time and in this place, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, you will indeed draw near. That you will work something in our hearts so that the meditations that rest there and the words of my mouth will come to glorify you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The French-Canadian Catholic philosopher and theologian Jean Vanier once wrote that to love someone is not, first of all, to do things for them. Hear that again. To love someone is not, first of all, to do things for them. Rather, to love someone, Vanier writes, is to reveal to them their beauty and value. To say to them through our attitude, you are beautiful. You are important. I trust you. You can trust yourself. To love someone, he writes, is to reveal to them their capacities for life. To reveal to them the light that is shining in them. Joseph, in this story, Joseph loves his brothers. We know that Joseph loves them not because of what he does for them, and he does A very important thing for them, right? He literally rescues them from death. He promises them food and land and security for years to come, hard years to come. But that's not what shows us that Joseph loves his brothers. Instead, I think what shows us that Joseph loves his brothers is what he says to them. Nearly the first words that come out of his mouth after he reveals himself to them, I am Joseph, almost the first words that come out after that are these. He says to his brothers, come closer. After all that's happened, after all that history, I mean, these are the people who threw him in a pit and left him to die. And then they came back and maybe gave him a moment of hope that some logic has finally come to their minds. And instead, they pull him out of the pit and they ship him off into slavery, literally hundreds of miles away. After all of that, here they come. And all Joseph wants is for them to come close. It's as if he wants them to come close so they can look in his eyes. And see the reflection of light that he sees in them. You know, there's so many themes, there's so many lessons that we can draw from this story, right? There's this theme of forgiveness in this story. Although we should note the words, I forgive you, they never come out of Joseph's mouth. There's this theme of God's sovereignty, of God's providence. I mean, What bigger story can you imagine of God taking sheer evil, human evil, and turning it into something good, right? 
If you're a farmer or have an agricultural background, there's also this underlying theme of just sound agricultural practice, how to survive famine years. But the thing that stands out to me most in this story is proximity. Literally the physical closeness of Joseph to his brothers. And I think the reason that proximity is what comes first to my mind is because I think that we are a people who are living in a time and in a culture where there is a crisis of closeness. So I like to have lunch sometimes over at Fortune House, Chinese buffet by Winn-Dixie. I like it for a number of reasons. It's cheap. It's unhealthy. You can go back for seconds. I was having lunch there with someone a few years ago, and there's this table when you walk in. It's right to your right. It's a big round table. There were probably eight people sitting around this table, and I got my plate, and I was sitting there near them. And I looked up, and all eight of these men, they looked like they had already worked hard that day, sweaty, dirty, maybe doing landscaping. This, this table of eight men were all bowed in prayer. God, I thought, that is beautiful. All of them, every single one, bowed in prayer. And I was about to look away, but I lingered just a little bit longer, and that's when I realized they weren't praying. They all had their phones out. In their laps, they were checking text messages, sending emails. I read this report last week from Nielsen Market Research. They studied the the trends last year in 2018, and, and what they found was that the average American adult spends 11 hours, 11 hours per day, watching, reading, listening to, or simply interacting with digital media. And that's up nine and a half hours over the last four years. Eleven hours. Now, I'm not passing judgment on those 11 guys, because I can almost guarantee you I probably had my phone out too. I'm just as guilty as the next person. And yet it illustrates for me and I think for all of us that we are living in a time when you can sit next to another human being and yet be a million miles away, can't you? A crisis of closeness. And it's not just technology, it's, it's our relationships as well. We didn't really intend for it to be this way, but this weekend just sort of evolved into a marriage-themed weekend. We had this wonderful marriage enrichment course with Drs. Jeannie and Preston Dyer. And then we ended up having a wedding here in the sanctuary last night as well. It illustrated for me some statistics that are troubling, and these aren't statistics around divorce either. I think we often sort of go straight to those. And the reality is there are relationships that need to end. There are relationships, both marriages and friendships, that are detrimental to the people in them. The statistic that really caught my attention instead was a statistic Jeannie and Preston shared about married people, about those who are in relationship. They said that the latest research and family studies shows that the average married couple spends six minutes 
talking to one another. Six minutes not per day, six minutes per week. And what they mean by that is the kind of talking that really matters. Facing your partner and asking how things are going with us. It doesn't include the planning for carpool and lunches and vacations. Six minutes a week, though, where married couples actually sit down and face each other and talk about them. A crisis of closeness. And we haven't even got to our national life, have we? Think about the research around economic disparity these days. All the indicators point to the poor getting poorer and the rich getting richer. We're moving further apart rather than closer together. The window of opportunity for many is not a wide one, but rather a narrow one. Should we talk about politics too? I read a headline yesterday. I don't even remember what it was about But it was yet another story, and the headline went with it was that this story was yet another, quote, combustible element in America's five-alarm hate blaze. That's the headline of people who are getting further apart than closer together. We are perhaps more than ever before as a people living at a distance. And the problem with that, the problem with being further and further from one another is that the further we get, the harder it becomes to see the light in other people. To see that light that John Vanier says is at the heart of what it means to love another human being. I mean, that's Charlottesville, right? That's Tree of Life. That's Parkland. That's Mother Emmanuel. Those are signs of people getting further apart, but it's also, it's churches that split. It's Thanksgiving dinners that erupt. It's family. Anyone else? It's family like the one in our story today, a family of brothers who are so jealous of the dreamer in their midst that they plot his death. They could not see the light in Joseph. But Joseph, Joseph could see the light in them. Come closer, he says. Amina Amdeen is Muslim. She was born in Iraq. You wouldn't know she was born anywhere other than the United States, though. That's where she grew up. If you talked to her on the phone, she would not have an accent at all. She wears a hijab. She likes classic rock. Joseph Widenecht is basically the opposite. Born in America sort of an all-American type, shy, homeschooled. He tried public school one year, but kept getting into fights, didn't win any of them. He's white. 
Amina and Joseph, they met after the 2016 election. There in the hometown uh, where they both live, Amina had gone to participate in a protest against the policies of the new administration. And Joseph, he had gone to a counter-protest to show support for the policies of the new administration. As things go, the protests seem to grow in number and energy awfully quickly. And at a certain point, several protesters who were there protesting the administration, they surrounded Joseph and they began to threaten him. They began to bully him. Amina was sort of on the edge of the crowd and she saw this unfolding and felt this feeling growing in her. And then someone reached up and they pulled the hat, the Make America Great Again hat, off of Joseph's head. And Amina says, I snapped. She says, I snapped because I know what it's like to be intimidated for the headgear I wear. She pushed through those other protesters and she threw her body over Joseph. She got as close as two people can literally get, and she began yelling at the people around her to stop it, to give him his hat back. The two of them came together later and recorded an interview as part of the StoryCorps project. Joseph begins the interview by saying to Amina, they're there in the same room looking at each other recording this, and he says, you know, you and I we couldn't be any farther apart as people. Amina is literally the first Muslim person that he had ever met. And yet as they talk in this interview, they both talk about how that shared experience on that day brought them together for a purpose, brought them together so that they together could encourage other people to get closer, to engage in conversations, especially, they say, to engage in conversations with people like them, people who couldn't be further apart, to engage in conversations with people who are different. Now, you can't see them in this interview, but it's amazing. I hope you'll go listen to it. It's amazing because you can hear in their voices that as they are there recording this story, they're looking into each other's eyes and they see beauty. They see value in one another. Couldn't be further apart. They see a capacity for life in the person sitting across from them. They see light in each other. Friends, that's our story today. In this time when there is a crisis of closeness in our world, when all of us can sit right next to someone and yet be a million miles away, when our headgear, be it a hijab or a red hat, can instigate a five-alarm hate blaze, in a time when we all exist 
whether we want to acknowledge it or not, in our own little echo chambers. Echo chambers that have names like Facebook and Fox News and CNN. And if we want to get really real, echo chambers that have names like St. Simon's Island. And this time when there is a crisis of closeness, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ must be the place where we can do what Joseph and his brothers do. Come close to one another. Embrace one another. And talk. We have to model for the world what it looks like to get close. To not just tolerate other people. Right, I hear that word sometimes. I don't like the word tolerate because it basically implies I'm just going to sit here until you get tired of me sitting here and leave my house. Or I'm going to listen to what you say, but the whole time I'm not going to hear a word of it because all I am thinking about is how you are crazy and I want to change your mind. That's not what we're talking about. To get close means to love others. To love them in the way Jean Vanier talks about. To see the beauty and the value and the light in each and every person, especially those who are different from us. And what better symbol, God, what better symbol to have on a day when we read and preach this story than a baptism, right? Lexi and William, they answered questions. Do you promise to pray with and for your child, for Clara May, and to bring her up in the knowledge and in the love of God? Do you promise, in other words, to acknowledge that there is a love that even before Clara May knows it, says to her, Clara May, you are beautiful and you are important. What a great symbol when we as a congregation, we answered a question. Do you promise, do we promise to love and pray for this child? To come close to her, in other words, as she gets older. And to let her see the reflection of God's light in our own eyes as we see her. And together will we teach her the faith by singing that old song. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us. This I know, this we know. For what? The Bible tells us so. Come closer, Joseph says to his brothers. And they come closer. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. Friends, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, a world in crisis, may we come closer to love others, to see the light that burns in every one of God's beloved children. May it be so. Amen.